0: You guys can have a seat. This morning, Rick will be teaching from John 9, 1 through 11. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is still day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world... I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he's like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus, made mud and anointed my eyes, and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight.
1: Nine, the guy says, I'm the man. (laughs) Uh, Sometimes I find myself to be funny, and no one else does. Um... Let's, uh, let's pray and then uh, let's think and study this conversation that Jesus had. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this opportunity you've given to us to gather together in this place to hear, um, hear from you, Father. Lord, I pray you would guide, um, guide our thoughts and guide my words as we uh, seek to understand who you are and what you're doing in our lives. God, I thank you that you are a personal and relational God. Um, It's in Christ's name that I pray, amen. So uh, we're in the middle, or not the middle, we're at the beginning, the first sermon in this new series, Conversations with Jesus. Um, And at the beginning of a series, I always want to kind of point out that, um, like, a a theme or a thread for the, the totality of the series. And... This one, uh, the, the most significant, single most significant purpose of this series for us is to allow us to understand that Jesus is a relational human being. Jesus was, was perfectly God, perfectly human. Jesus is uh, relational, and he wants to have relationship with you. Um, and that's, that's very simple, and there's nothing like earth-shattering about that except the more you consider and think about it, that Jesus wants to be in relationship with you. Um, and I hope today and in the coming several weeks in this series that you will see that Jesus is relational and he wants to be in relationship with you. But he's also orchestrating events to get your attention onto that fact. So he's a relational God and he wants to be in relationship with you, but but he's also orchestrating events, making things happen to get your attention. Um, and he's, he's pursuing you. Um, so as, as we see these relationships, as we, as we study these conversations that Jesus enters into, we'll see that relational personality of Jesus. Um, but I, I, I want to say that not only is Jesus relational and pursuing you and orchestrating events to pursue you, but he's also pursuing you, not somebody better than you, not somebody that's got their stuff together. There's not, not a place in scripture where, where Jesus is attracted to someone because they have their stuff together. Um, and that's really good news. Um... Especially for a guy like me who is a pastor and it's my job to have my stuff together and I don't. Um, which is just stupid for me to even say those words, that it's my job to have my stuff together. Um, yeah. So before we get to the heart of, of the story this morning, I, w- I want us to see three pieces of... So you ever, you ever go to see a, a movie and, and somebody like says, hey, when, like somebody has seen the movie before, like... Hey, I want you to look for these things in the story and, and then you look for them and it kind of elevates the, the story. So that's what I want to do with, with these three things. First is Jesus encounters this man. So I, I said a minute ago that Jesus is orchestrating events to get your attention, that he's a relational God, but here is, is proof of it in the story. Um, and um, I'm, I'm praying, I've been praying this week that we would just like the man in the story, see that God is, that Jesus is, is pursuing us. So this is a dangerous thing, generally speaking, but not here in this context. It's a dangerous thing to put yourself into scripture because you're not always supposed to do that. But here in this story, we can put ourselves into the position of this man that's born blind um, and, and put ourselves in his shoes and understand that there's nothing attractive about this guy, yet Jesus orchestrates events so that he can have an encounter with this guy. Um, And the piece that we can insert ourselves in is that there's nothing we have to do to clean ourselves up or any of that to get the attention of Jesus. Do you know that? There's nothing you have to do to clean yourself up to get the attention of Jesus. And then the second piece is is this, and it's kind of in in the middle of the story, is there's this great confusion about who Jesus is. And this is really the heart of the story and the bulk of the story, is that there's confusion over who Jesus is among everyone in the story. And the piece that I want us to draw from that is that Jesus is, is often misunderstood by each of us. But our, our presence here today shows that we're, we're concerned in some capacity with the things of scripture, and the things of God, and the things of Jesus, and, and kind of being together, is, it shows that we're, we're concerned with those things. Um, And the problem is is that Jesus can be misunderstood. In this this story, Jesus is called a prophet, he's called a sinner, and he's called not from God. None of those things are true in totality. Jesus is a prophet, but he's he's way more than that. Um, Generally speaking, people both inside of religion and outside of religion misunderstand who Jesus is, including yourself and including me. Um, But the, the second thing that causes us to misunderstand who Jesus is is that there's people here using God to get power, using God to get control. And we live in a world where that's just true everywhere. I'm, I'm guilty of it, and the likelihood is you're probably guilty of it. And, it. and there are people probably in your past that are guilty of using God to get power. But he, here's, here's the, the struggle or, or the temptation is for us to, to say it's them and not us. And I think that, that's a, an issue with religion. And, and here when we see the Pharisees in the story, they're guilty of this, that it's them and not us that are the problem. But I, I think one of, the, one of the benefits to being in relationship with Jesus is you realize that it's not them that's the problem. It's, it's me that's the problem. But I want to say this, under, under this heading, people using God to get power, if you're here and you've been hurt or damaged by the quest for power within a church or within a religious person, I want to say to you, I'm sorry. Um, but let's be slow to point the finger at them and quick to point the finger at us. Then um, the last... The last piece under this point is religious traditions keep people from seeing Jesus. Isn't that strange that religious traditions, which were born to push people towards Jesus, actually serve to do the opposite thing? Um, one of the cool things about being a small and young church is that we get to be pretty nimble in the way that we can, we can shift our vision and to shift our focus and shift our direction and as a church, because we're, we're small and young, we can do that. Um, and, and I think it's, I, I hope, I pray that it's one of the things we continually do is, is examine the things that we do, examine community groups, and examine Sunday mornings, examine relationship, examine our, our social media, examine the, the songs that we sing, the sermons that we preach, examine all of those things, because they're all essentially religious traditions, and, and what are they doing to help us get closer to God? And what are they doing to help us to, to keep us from being repelled from God? Um, but know this today, that you have been prayed for. Everyone that's sitting in a chair in this room, I've been praying for you this week, that, that God would show himself to you and that you would see that God is pursuing you and that we would tear down religious traditions that keep that from happening and build up religious traditions that help that to happen. Um, then, and, and this, is, this is, I think, the heart of, of the point of the sermon today. God seeks this man out, and in the middle there's a bunch of confusion, and at the end, God seeks this man out again. And that, that's, that's incredibly good news because um, like, I think our lives go in a cycle of I feel really connected to Christ— and then stuff happens inside of us and stuff happens around us that keep us from really understanding who he is. But that doesn't ever stop him from pursuing us. So I want you to see, as we see the story, Jesus pursues the guy, confusion. Jesus keeps pursuing the guy. And that's incredible. So let's get in to the to the passage. Verse one. Um, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So part of the confusion, part of the, the, the main dummies in this story are the people who had been spending the last three years with Jesus. So the people that are supposed to be closest to Jesus, knowing him the best, present this this dumb question, um, and we, we spend a lot of time arguing about these things, um, who sinned, this guy or his parents, we, we spend, have you ever thought, is God punishing me for this? Have you ever thought that? I've, I've Okay, let me just be really excited and say that rarely do I get like immediate feedback from people, but I saw three head nods. That may be the first time that's ever happened at this place. I saw three head nods. And if I was sitting there, I would be nodding my head too. But here's the the deal. Scripture teaches us that, that all of the punishment that God has for every sin that's ever been committed has already been poured out on Jesus, and he's already received it and paid for it. So, if there's ever a moment in your life where you think that God is punishing you for your sin, you can say that's not correct. Because it's already, Jesus absorbed all of the punishment for your sin. So if God is punishing you, he's nullifying the cross. God would never nullify the cross. But in my heart, in my mind, I am, and and at least three of you who nodded your heads a few minutes ago, in your mind, you think that the thing that's happening wrong to me is happening wrong to me because of something that I've done. But Jesus presses into this in, in a very relational way. This is a, a conversation that Jesus has with his disciples about this man that's born blind. Verse 3. Um, this, is, this is really, really good. Jesus answered, It was not this man that sinned or his parents that sinned, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Here's, I'm going to step in front of this computer because I I need us to know this. I need us to understand this. Um, As as Western Christians who live a generally middle-class, comfortable life, the likelihood is that the biggest thing that keeps us from intimacy with Jesus Christ that we were created to be in that gives us the greatest joy and fulfillment in our lives. The greatest hurdle to that in our lives by virtue of being North American, suburban, middle-class people is, is our comfort. And here in this story, this man is uncomfortable because he's been born blind. And the response of people that are close to Jesus, that are supposed to know who Jesus is and what he's about, their response is, what's wrong with this guy or what's wrong with his parents, that his comfort has been taken from him? And Jesus' response is, it's got nothing to do with his comfort. It's got to do with the fact that we might see the work of God show up in this guy's life. And, and if you continue to, to chase that idea is hard things and broken things and difficult things and things that you might label as punishment that happen in your life are there so that you might see the glory and perfect nature of who God is. And, and that's, that's incredibly important because here's the fact, like, we're... We're, in, in, in a few minutes we're going to be done and we're going to go about our days we're going to go about our lives and, and maybe, maybe next Sunday we'll show up here in this place and we'll talk about the things of Jesus again but our, our natural response is is to make comfort our God and if we're doing things right then God will reward us with comfort And that's so backwards because the moment our comfort is taken from us is the moment we think that God is doing something evil or mean to us. Or we say, why do bad things happen to good people? Have you ever thought that? Why do bad things happen to good people? Jesus is talking directly about it right here. Bad things happen to good people so those works of God might be displayed in them. Because comfort is not your God. It can't save you. It can't help you. It can be taken from you in a moment. This is Jesus, and he's being incredibly relational to engage with these people. Um, verse 4. Before we get to verse 4, I want to say this. Again, Jesus is orchestrating events to get you to realize that he wants to be in deep relationship with you. And sometimes that looks like bringing hard things into your life. But there's nothing greater than intimacy with Jesus. Verse 4. Jesus says a bunch of confusing things that I don't really know what they mean, but let's read them anyway. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. That might mean that Jesus knows he's about to die and that's the darkness. That might mean that Jesus knows he's about to go away and Satan can run on this world and, and, and have things like, orchestrate events on this world and get you to believe stuff that's not true, that might be the darkness. Um, most of the time, Jesus will tell a parable or, or say something like this, like, we must, be, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. Most of the time, Jesus says those clandestine-sounding things. And then soon later, he explains himself, but he doesn't do that here. So we can just conjecture about what he's talking about. But ultimately, it it doesn't make a lot of difference, and and I don't think it's the point of what's going on. Verse five, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. That is important. Jesus is proclaiming who he is and what he does. And in other words, pay attention to the things that I'm saying, they're going to help you get through this life. Verse six, he's done teaching, and now he's in the middle of, of acting. Verse 6, having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and anointed the man's eyes with mud. Like, we're so ingrained to reading stories like this that we miss what just happened. What? Jesus spits on the ground and makes mud and puts it on a guy's eye. Putting mud on my eye, we're going to have problems, you and I. But Jesus does this. It's so weird. Like why does he why does he do this? He could have just said, You can now see. But he spits on the ground, makes mud, and puts it on his eyes. Verse 7, and he said to him, Go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. Hmm. Maybe Jesus didn't just heal him of his blindness in the moment because he wanted to go send him to sent. By the way, parenthetically, everything that Jesus has done for you is something that he intends for you to go into your world and proclaim. And just like he's orchestrated events to get you here today to hear what Jesus is saying here in this area, he's also using you to orchestrate events in other people's lives. So when Jesus engages you with his gospel, engages, engages you with something beautiful, he intends for you to do it, to go with that. So this guy went and washed and came back seeing. And the neighbors and those who had seen him as a beggar before were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And some said, it is he Others said, no, but he is like him. And he kept saying, I'm the man. <laughs> Thanks for chuckling with me. Appreciate it. Verse 10, and they said to him, then how were your eyes open? And he said, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. And so I went and washed and received my sight. I don't know what happened. All I know is I couldn't see and now I can Here, the rest of the story, this man is very matter-of-fact about his interaction with Jesus. Verse 12, and they said to him, where is he? And he said, I don't know. And they brought the Pharisees, they brought him to the Pharisees. This man had been born blind. Um, Before we go further, I want to talk about who these Pharisees are. These are the religious leaders when we're talking before about power and people clinging to their power and using God to gain power, the Pharisees are the perfect example of that. Um, they tell people what's good and what's bad. They tell people what's right and what's wrong. They, um, they tell people what they can do and what they can't do. Um, it seems throughout the scripture, they're more concerned with the behavior of others than their, than their own behavior. It seems that throughout scripture, every time Jesus encounters them, he's attacking them and calling out their own hypocrisy. And here in the story, they do it a lot. Um, We're going to skip to verse 34, but before we do, I want to tell you what happens from 13 to 33, a series of events where the Pharisees are trying to, to trap Jesus. They go and talk to this guy's parents a couple times and say, what's up with this guy? How did this happen? And they say, I don't know. You better talk to him yourself. Um, and each time they say the same thing they they go back and talk to the guy every time they talk to him he says I don't know I was blind and now I can see so the Pharisees get angry and kick this guy out of the church Um, can you imagine that Jesus has just healed this man of his blindness and now the power-hungry religious leaders kicked this guy out of the church. How stupid is that? But again, please, 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 when we see Jesus attacking religious people, it's not them, it's us, who groups of people or specific people have you or we kicked out of the church. Intentional pause. Religious people in this story are power hungry. They use their religion to kill people and they say, if you don't act or think like me, you're out. But I got news for you. There's no amount of religious action that can keep, that can draw God to you. And if there's no amount of religious thought or action that can draw God to you, there's no amount of religious action that can draw God to somebody else. God is a relational God, and he sent his son Jesus to be a relational Jesus so that we might see that God intends to be in relationship with you. No matter who you are or where you are or what you're doing, Jesus wants to be in relationship with you. And this story is a beautiful and perfect example of that. And it's also a beautiful and perfect example of the danger of religion that pushes people away. But the beautiful part is Jesus pulls up quick to this guy. After he's been kicked out. After he's been cast off. Jesus pulls up quick to this guy. Which tells me... If you have been hurt by religion in the past or in the present, in the current, if you've been damaged by religion, you know where you are? The perfect place to be found by Jesus. The religious people kick him out. And what happens? Jesus is there with him, encountering him. So if you've been hurt or hurt people, Preston towards Christ. Verse 34 is the verse where they're they're casting him out. Verse 34, they answered him, you were born in utter sin. This is they as the Pharisees here. They answered him, you, the man born blind, were born in utter sin. And Jesus already said that's not the truth. And you would teach us and they cast him out. Religious people clinging to their power, unwilling to learn from a man who has just encountered Christ. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and he found him. Like, that's incredible news. If you feel abandoned by the suburban North American middle-class church, if you feel abandoned by them, you're in perfect position to see Jesus. And that's great news. And what what does Jesus say to him after he finds him? And by the way, I just can't get over. Jesus heard they cast him out, and he goes and finds him. That's incredible. And he said when he finds him, do you believe in the Son of Man? Confused, he answers, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Like he, Jesus healed him not long ago, and he and Jesus is like, okay, yeah, or the guy's like, okay, tell me who he is, I, that I can believe in him. He's, he's, even the encounters with Jesus, he's confused. Verse 37, Jesus continues to pursue this guy. And, and let us insert ourselves here. Jesus continues, even in your confusion, Jesus is pursuing you and teaching you about who he is. Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. Let me again put us in the middle of the story and say, Jesus is a relational Jesus, and he's pursuing you, orchestrating events to speak these words to you. You have seen him, and he is he who is speaking to you. And his response is, is, is simple and completely profound. It's simple and is completely profound. His response in verse 38. Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Do you know that the only role you have in perfect, abiding, loving, wonderful, intensely joyful Purpose for your life, you have one role believe. There's nothing special, nothing religious, nothing that Jesus is calling you to do in order that you might be in a relationship with Him other than believe. Just walk towards Him, ask Him to show Himself to you, tell Him whatever is in your heart, whatever is in your mind. Speak it to him. Be honest with him. Be honest with yourself. He's calling you right now. Even from from, like, I don't pretend to know the the spiritual condition of your heart and your life right now. So wherever you are, far from God or near to God, in, in saving relationship with him or not, it doesn't matter. What Jesus is calling, this relational Jesus, what he's calling you to do is I want to be in relationship with you in your only role. Lord, I believe. Lord, I believe. Um, Let's pray and be done.